That's the problem with the game now. You can't even leave an early marker on a marquee player these days. This is Getting Stuck In, a sports podcast brought to you by Daniel McFarlane, interviewing ex, current and aspiring sports professionals within their field and gaining insight into their lives. Have some of that then. All right, I'm joined by the YouTube king, Sheldon Tweedy. <laughs> How are you, mate? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. A little bit bored, as I'm sure we all are, but... Uh... That's life at the moment, isn't it? That's right. So we'll get straight into it, mate. Um, where'd the love for football begin? Wow. Long, long time ago. Five years old, probably. Started playing and just played ever since. I remember meeting you. I, I can't remember the first time I met you. But, yeah, I've been playing for a long time. And, you know, it's just a game that we all love. When you get on that field, it's just you're away from everything. It's escapism for me. Yeah, right. So when did you come be kind of serious about becoming a pro? Obviously, it starts off as fun as, as it all does, but when did it kind of hit the point where you wanted to make it pro? I think, so it's always been in my head. I think around, I probably put it in school years. So when I was in year eight or nine, I kind of went, all right, school's not for me. I want to be a footballer. And if I'm not going to be a footballer, I'll do something else. But that's kind of where I went, all right, this is where I want to start taking it seriously. And around that time, I was only playing, I think I was in MPL 2 at the time, but I knew that if I put the work in and I continued to do what I wanted to do, then I'd be able to get to, you know, those high-level teams and the high-level games and really push on. But, yeah, it wasn't. it's never easy. You know, you can have the thought, oh, yeah, I want to be a pro from 15 years old. And, you know, for some people it works out, for some people it doesn't. You just got to keep pushing. And I think for a lot of people right now, it's kind of the, the thought process is you have to be a pro by 18, 20, 21. And it's because we see these players in Premier League like Rashford and others push on and play when they're 19. And I just think if you want to pursue your goal, you see players in NRL. That's my sort of comparison. I see guys who make their debut at 25, 26, and you just see the joy on their face. And that's what they've wanted their whole life, and they're 26, and they just keep pushing. And that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, decent. So I think I just missed you at Manly. I think I left at the 15s, and you might have come in in the 16s. Yeah, so I, I came in like halfway through in the 16s because maybe you left and they were looking for another attacking midfielder or something like that. No, I was a left back then, mate. Were you? Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I came in halfway through at the 16s and I was there in the 11s, but you would have been at the Central Coast. Yeah, I was at Central Coast. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what was that an experience going back to Manly? Was it straight into the starting team and that sort of thing? 16s. So I was at Northern Tigers. Oh, this is a good story for you. So I was at Northern Tigers and I just signed from Gladesville. I was at Gladesville for two years and signed for Tigers. I was going to be the starting 10 because the coach brought me in and then opportunity came up with Fernando. So I went in on the Tuesday and I just said to Northern Tigers, I was like, look, I'm sick. I can't make today's session. Obviously, I was going and trialing with Manly. And uh, that night at about 9.30, I got an email from Northern Tigers saying, you're kicked out. We don't want you anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. Mate, that, I don't even know how they knew. 
but um, yeah, so I was clubless and started playing from I trialed for a couple of weeks, two, three weeks. And then I got taken in. I can't really remember the 16th season. I remember on my, I think I, my debut for the 16th, I got like five minutes at the end of the game, scored against Sato to draw. I can't, I can't remember. 18th was a bit better. Uh, started playing a lot more games there and that's where I got, I think the first year of 18s, I went, yeah, that's where I got uh, selected for Sydney FC. But um, yeah, Manly was, it was good. I enjoyed it, especially Fernando. Did you ever have Fernando? Yeah, I had Fernando the 15s, him and yeah. uh, Danilo. Other guy. Yeah, they great good. guys. Yeah, really probably. good knowledge and funny. <laughs> yeah, they were good stories as well. Right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so you mentioned the 18s and 20s there, then you ended up at uh, Sydney FC. Uh, what's how did that all come about? So, Sydney FC came through someone that I knew. We just kind of put the contact out there, see if anything could come out of it, and um, ended up trialing for a few weeks, as everyone did, and got the call from Corica that I wanted that he wanted me to be a train on player, and I was like, far out, that's sick. So I'm sure you know, and for people who don't, a train on player is someone that. You're in the squad, you're training with the team, you don't get paid, you don't get play games, but if someone gets injured, you have the opportunity to play, but for the majority of the time, it's quite difficult. I think for train-on players when I was there, I think two went up. I think Charles Lokolingue was a train-on player at the time, and he obviously went up. Um, but yeah, that was a really good experience. Sydney FC was, man, just a level difference. I remember my first trial with them, we played at it was yeah we played eleven v eleven and I played really well except the first pass um, the centre back came driving in and then he fired it at me like what is considered standard ball speed now but at the time it was so new to me this idea of passing firmly so that you can cut out opposition and that sort of stuff and I received this ball and my first touch almost goes back to the goalkeeper I'm like on halfway and it goes so far I go bad <laughs> and so that was my first touch of game like, all right I just need to start playing a bit more cautiously and I did and played really well but yeah it was a whole new experience that just a level difference of those those top players I think because and you were in that environment as well where I think you're getting the top players with some really good coaching and they just go from here to there and everyone that doesn't kind of make that situation it's difficult because you don't have those other players pushing you to get better uh, and I found that was the biggest thing. You know, you have players like Ryan Grant came and traded for a couple of times. Um, we trained against the first team a couple of times. And it's just an experience which is so – it's really good, but it's tough. It's challenging, which is yeah. great. Yeah, so you mentioned the games against the first team. Who are some of the players that stood out as being a good pro, a good player? I, sort of have to come up against. I, I didn't play much in it. I think I got like 20 minutes. We played like 60 minutes and I played 20 so I was playing right wing. So I played against Gersbach. Um, I just remember Arnie was yelling at him. Ball came out of the top and he like didn't come to the ball. And he, Arnie's like, I don't know if he said you idiot, but he got really angry at him because he didn't come to the ball. But he, he was, you definitely noticed like he had pace. He was quick. Um, I can't even remember who was around at that time. And I know Brosk was there. Uh, but yeah, Gersbach was obviously marking me, so I noticed he was definitely up to the standard. Yeah, he's a good player, I mean. Um, <laughs> so people around your age in the in the Sydney FC team, who sticks out? Paddy Flotman there? 
Paddy, I don't think Paddy was there when I was there. So, oh, far was he? No, I don't think he was. So I was. I had Charles Zuckerlingoy, Sammy McElhaden. Um, was Paddy there? I can't remember. Maybe, but we had George Blackwood was in the team. Aaron Calver. Um, a lot of guys who have now gone and you know signed a deal with a first team somewhere. Um, from the train on, uh, what I notice is a lot of the train on players are now playing MPL one, MPL two. Um, but a lot of the first team player, Max Burgess, was probably the player that I thought was the best there. Have you played against Max Burgess? Yeah, I played against him. Yeah, he's yeah. I just when I when I was there when I first saw him, I was like, wow, this guy has a really good left foot. And so I started going to those sessions and trying to take away what I could from him because I think he's a couple years older than me. So you know, you just you got to go to those sessions and try and learn something every single day from the players that are obviously better than you when you're in that situation in that environment where it's clear like you're a train on player and then you have a squad player so they're better than you you just got to go there and try and learn as much as you can yeah decent so after that where did, where did it end up with sydney obviously so in the end so what happened yeah so i then corica towards the end of the season corica went up to the first team and rob stanton came in as coach and everyone had to kind of retrial except for, I guess, the few top key players. And I went in and did really well, got to the last session. Rob called me at the end and he said, oh, yeah, physically, uh, technically you're better than some of the players we've picked, but you're not physically up to it. And I was, I was like, wow, okay. Um, that was obviously really heartbreaking because – uh, you know, you're being told that you're phys- like technically you're a very good player, but you're just physically not up to it. And you know, they were going into the MPL, so they were playing against men, so I understand it. But you know, that's something that's hard to take. Being told that you're too small is something that I've had to deal with for such a long time. But that that was a tough time, and luckily enough, I had Wanderers. I played a game against N Swiss and. I scored this absolute left foot banger. I only played like 30 minutes and I got scouted there, trialed at Wanderers for a fair few weeks and then got taken there as a train-on player. And again, you have the likes of Keanu Bacchus, Lachlan Scott, um, you know, all these top level, Mario Chabau. Um, so it worked out okay. It was just a little bit, you know, it was hard to deal with being told that you were too small when uh, you were good enough for the level. Yeah, so at the Wanderers, could you see any chance for you to get into the youth team and then progress to the first team, or was it still... So so I ended up leaving the Wanderers, and that was, man, that was probably the hardest. It's something where I'd like to say that if I had my chance again, I would have stayed, but at the same time, I go, no, I, would, I wouldn't, because then I wouldn't be where I'm at now. And what happened was I, was, I trained with the youth team again for the season, and then obviously they went into MPL and I was playing, I was set to play in the under twenties and it looked like I wasn't really in favor and I had Manly uh, calling for me to go over there to go play twenties and train with first grade. And I was like, Oh wow. MPL one versus MPL two. There was, I mean, we were training out at Blacktown at 4 PM. I think it was or four thirty PM. And from where I live on the Northern beaches, mate, it's about, two hours yeah so obviously that's something if you really want it you couldn't do it but i just i wanted it i just thought this was a better option and 
looking back, it would have been nice to really play that out and see if I could have progressed with it. But then I would have, wouldn't be able to do my coaching, which I did at the time and uh, made a lot of money through that to then go overseas. So I maybe would have been stuck in Australia. So there's some things where, yes, it would have been a good option, but I don't know. I, I spoke with the coach at the time and I just, I, it's the dumbest thing I said to him. Yeah. So I got manly. Uh, I, I say, Oh, can I have a chat after training? He's like, yeah, sure. I said, Oh yeah, I got manly who uh, want me to go over there. Uh, I'm just wondering what you think I should do. And he's like, well, why are you asking me? Like, I want you to stay here. You're just, and he got so angry with me. It was, I was freaking out. And, Oh man, uh, Trevor Morgan. Oh yeah, Trevor Morgan. <laughs> I love, mate. He's like the best coach I've ever had. But he, like, he's very. He can discipline you, which is really good. Great coach, absolute great coach. Um, I remember the first session I went there. I, I was amazed by the drills we were doing, and I was like, "Fire! I want to be here because this coach is very, very good." Yeah, so, good. yeah, tough. That was a tough time. Yeah. So you mentioned overseas there. Was it always kind of something you wanted to do, go overseas? And if so, how did it how did it kind of get the wheels in motion to head over there? Um, going overseas was something I guess I always wanted to do. I can't quite remember, but I, w- I managed to find out that I could get an ancestry visa, which allowed me five years in the UK to work, do whatever I want. I can rent a house. I'm basically a citizen, but I'm not. And it... I got that, went over and saved up a heap of money through football coaching and managed to find a contact for someone in the ninth division. That didn't work out. Ended up going over to, I think I went to Spain and then went to Crawley Town with under 23s. But there was a whole lot of stuff like going here, going there, trialing here, trialing there. I tried with... um, Usman Dembele from Barcelona, his brother was at the club I trialed at. And it was, it's just so random because this guy was playing at uh, Dortmund and he's come down and played for the fourth, it was a fourth division team in Spain. And I guess maybe he's gone, his brother's making X amount of money in Barca. So he's gone, all right, I'm just going to go play for fun and live off my brother. <laughs> I don't know. It was weird. Uh, but man, Spanish football is just training with that team. You just don't have the time that you do anywhere else in the world. You receive the ball. And because it's mostly on the deck, you receive and you're like, you receive, you look around, and then the ball's gone. You go, what the? It's so much quicker. But I love overseas. It's good. It's definitely a challenge leaving everyone else behind and going over yourself. I think that's probably one of the hardest things. But, you know, there's also the concept of trying to find teams, which is so difficult. You one of the big things I'm finding is you have to have the skill, you have to work hard, but you need to know a lot of people. Mm. And if you don't know the right people, you can't get into the right circles. You can't get into the right teams and knowing people is one of the biggest things. So you can either look at that and go, Oh, I don't know anybody. This sucks. Or you can kind of put yourself out there, try and connect with the right people, which is what I did. I managed to do an interview with a guy when I was at Crawley, uh, he just wanted something for his university project. And I went, okay, yeah, sure. Did an interview with him, almost like this, me and you. And he's now gone on to uh, be a, an agent at like a pretty big agency that deals with 
championship players, League One players, League Two players, I think a couple Premier League players. Um, so he has a ton of contacts and he wants to now help me out. So yeah, okay. it's, I guess it's just about putting yourself out there and trying to find different people that you can connect with, which, I mean, it's crazy to think just by helping some guy out with a university project that something like that would come about. Yeah, exactly. I found when I like when overseas, I found the football to be the easy part, and then all the other bits like transport, accommodation, yeah. money, oh. everything else, like trying to figure out how to get places was that the toughest bit? And if so, what was some of the stuff that you found difficult there? Man, just yeah, obviously money is it can go quick. Luckily enough, I get some pretty nice places at a discounted rate. So I, I've stayed with family, friends, or just random. I stayed in Spain for 500 euros a month, all food cooked for me just because someone at the club was, I was like, geez, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, if you're lucky enough to have family friends, it's makes everything a lot easier because they can kind of ease you into the situation. But with, when you're on your own, it's difficult. You, you go Airbnb to Airbnb, you're paying, it could be 50 bucks a night, 70 bucks a night. Then if you're not allowed to use the kitchen, you have to go buy food. You, I looked into getting a car in England. You can't get a car because you're not a citizen. Otherwise, insurance is going to cost you 3K a year. There's just so so many challenges like that, like you say, outside of football, which you you got to find a field to train at. In Spain, that was near impossible. I ended up paying, I think, 80 bucks for a gym membership. And there was like a little uh, artificial tennis court up top. And that was my training field. So, yeah, that, that's definitely a huge challenge. And to overcome it, you just, I mean, you just got to put the work in off the field. That's my big thing. You can work on the field as well, but it's what you do off the field, whether it's finding the right transport or finding the right people to talk to. There's so many different things that you can do in order to make sure that you're on the right track off the field as well as on the field. Yeah. Now, good story. When I was in Scotland, I was at, on trial, like early doors. and um, trained the first day and did well and the guys like like a couple more days will probably sign you and then so i went back to my auntie's place in glasgow and then went back through to edinburgh yeah and they, and they had like a big cup final like semi-final that night the first team and he's like i'll oh, come watch it and it was like an 8 30 kickoff at night and he goes and then you can stay at the the digs like the accommodation after mm-hmm. that and i was like okay so like little did i know game finished at like 11 30 so extra time and penalties and everything oh no going back to the digs and then i was like arriving at this old woman's house at like one in the morning and i've got training the next day at six and they've gone um so i've walked in and then she's just like immediately she's like what are you doing this for just hang it up kid she's like <laughs> she's like she's like you'll never make it here anyway oh she's like my son used to play football and now he hates it and then I, and I hadn't eaten since like 12 or something. And I was like, all right, love, do you mind just firing me up some toast? And she just looked at me and she's like, all right. And then she just like chucked a bit of toast at me, going upstairs. I got like four hours sleep back out the trailer the next day. Oh, that sort man. Of, was that sort of stuff that you'd find traveling as well? You'd have to figure out how to get places and stuff. Oh, my, my worst story, like that is America. I was uh, traveling with this team and I, I get there off the plane and it was about, eight no nine o'clock get there uh get an uber uber was paid for by the club and it was about like 45 minutes from the airport i go in uh and i i already looked on google maps 
at this place I was staying at because it, all the players were staying there. And I look at the place and I go, like, where's the house? I, I, surely Google Maps hasn't updated this. Uh, I don't see any houses. I don't see any sort of big hotel sort of thing. I, I'm looking at this big building. And I go, all right, I guess that's it. Anyway, get the Uber there, rock up. And I call my agent and I go, okay, like, where is this place? And he goes, oh, I'll put you on to a guy inside and he'll give you a call. Oh, I'll get him to come outside. So he comes outside and comes outside of this just blank building. And I go, oh, no, not this one. Walk in and it's, it was a, the guy that owned the club converted it into from an old office building into like housing, I guess. Yeah. So I walk in, I get to my, my room and there were one, two, three, about seven beds in the room, uh, share with a shower, which is fine. I, I didn't have, my sheets were still, uh, were used from last night from a guy who trialed and then didn't get signed. I think after one session. So he stayed one night and got kicked out. So I had some dirty sheets and these guys wanted to stay out till 12 AM talking and we had trains tomorrow. You had to get up at like six or five forty-five. The, the food there was very limited, so in the morning, some guy made me uh, porridge. I think he made me porridge, and he didn't have anything. Sacrificed himself. Um, there was like open chicken in the fridge, which like wasn't covered. It was just one of those things where you go, "All right, this isn't good for me." So I ended up going and staying at a hotel and paying a lot more money, but. For the, I needed to be in the right space for the trial. So there's a bit of a, you know, some people are willing to do that. And I would have been, if that was my only option, I would have done it. But, you know, it was tough. It was going, you just walk in and you're like, oh no. <laughs> so obviously you went over to, to start like as a, as a pro overseas, right? And then you decided to, to vlog. So video log it on YouTube. What was the decision making behind that? So, I mean... I was thinking about this yesterday or the day before. I've been, I made YouTube videos when I was in year, year eight. I don't know if we all did, but I was making Call of Duty videos, bit of commentaries. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I wish I still had them. Uh, I had a fair few, but I actually deleted them because in year seven or eight, because a girl I liked, uh, a guy, one of my kind of mates was going to tell a girl I liked that, I made these Call of Duty videos. <laughs> I went, no way is she finding out. So I deleted all of them. I wish I still had them because I would put them out freely now because I can care less what anyone thinks. Would have been funny. But yeah, I don't, all I have is just one Arsenal career mode video and that's it. <laughs> like, like, I don't know who was even playing. I can't remember, but I wish I had them. So YouTube for me, I guess, I was always into it. Um, I love creating. I love that sort of side of it. And I think, you know, it's a little bit to do with putting yourself out there. So like I said earlier, if you put yourself out there, you're going to get noticed. So I knew that if, well, I listened to, do you know Gary Vee? No, I don't actually know. Uh, mate, you got to listen to him. He's one of the best um, entrepreneurs and he kind of got me into it. He said, all right, if you're a C grade celebrity on an NBA team, and all you do is pick up a camera and vlog, you become an A-grade celebrity. And then he started talking a little bit about that. And I went, all right, well, why don't I pick up a camera and just start vlogging? So I started vlogging, doing a couple of videos here and there. I, I enjoyed it. I was probably getting like 50 views, 100 views. 
and started to put myself out there to, I guess, try and get a few connections. But on top of that, you know, inspire a lot of people, document my journey so that I can, I can look back on it in 50 years time and kind of see what I did and everyone else can look back on it and see what I've done. And that was another thing that Gary Vee said is imagine these top athletes documented their journey to the top. We all just see where they are now, but imagine if we could see everything that they did to get to where they are. And I went, okay, yep, I'm going to do that. And at the time, Train Effective, uh, Nick Humphreys did a 100-day challenge. And I went, okay, well, I'll do 365. What do I care? So I just decided to do 365 days and do it every single day. I mean, I'm, I got so used to it in the beginning. It was a little bit different because, I mean, no one really picks up a camera every day and edits every single day. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, when I edit these podcasts and stuff, it takes me ages. I'm like, trying to see if I yeah, do that every day with videos and stuff. How yeah. do you do it every day? So, it's, I see a lot of people pop up. And this is why, you know, I credit you for what you've done because I get a lot of people say, oh, how should I do this? I want to start a podcast. I want to start a video series. And then, I mean, you messaged me in September or something. I, I looked before. And you've done heaps of episodes, which, you know, is a credit to you for sticking at it. But I see so many people who ask for the advice or start a video and they don't commit to it. They don't just do it. And I think that's the thing which annoys me most because, I mean, if you're going to do something, just do it. And we all have 24 hours. It's so easy to edit a video if you just put the time into it. And so I just went, all right, 365 days, I'm just going to edit every single day and just work at it it's what else am i doing i'll be training i'll have eight hours i can do whatever i want and it was just committing that's that's the biggest thing committing to be consistent and from there i guess it just took off without being consistent i wouldn't be where i'm at yeah so you mentioned you said you had 50 (coughs) 50 to 100 views when did it start going from that to like a few thousand so but uh collabing with become elite who has i think is it like 350 now three hundred fifty thousand. um right before he announced that he was going to london but i was getting around i had around three hundred three thousand subscribers i was getting probably one thousand views a video and then he announced that he was coming to london there was a bit of hype that he might meet up with me and then we ended up doing a collab training a couple times and I can't remember how many subscribers I went up, maybe up to 8,000. I did another club with him in uh, New Zealand and then recently did another club with him in America. I don't think I've collabed. Oh, and then another club with Randall. So collabing with these different people has definitely helped in getting the views up and being exposed to more people. But like I, I think one of the biggest things in YouTube sort of promoting people is being consistent with what you're doing so because i was uploading every single day my videos would be pushed out to more people and i'm noticing now because i'm uploading sort of once a week twice a week my videos aren't being pushed up i remember sam yesterday said oh yeah usually your videos come up in the home page as soon as they're uploaded but your most recent one came up 20 hours later and it said uploaded 20 hours ago so youtube kind of rewards you for being consistent with your uploads and that's why I guess I stuck at it every single day. I took a few days off here and there, but I mean, it's so hard to go every single day for 365. Yeah. So what's been probably, you'd say your biggest surprise from vlogging, like would it be like say 
getting recognized in the street and all that, mate. <laughs> Biggest surprise from vlogging? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, there's a few things, like, I guess it's a little bit of a surprise, but not really the fact that I'm having, I'm getting opportunities through YouTube. Um, but I kind of knew that would come if I put myself out there. What sort of opportunities are you talking about? Sort of like trials with teams. Trials, yeah. Um, but yeah, recognizing the street is where I remember one time uh, I was walking with Lucy, my girlfriend, and there was a dad and kid and they were about 15, 20 meters away. And the kid goes, oh, dad, it's Sheldon Tweedy. And I go, oh, I just go, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and we just have a little chat about some random stuff. But I mean, that's cool. It's cool to have people who are there and supportive you get a lot i've had a, so many people message me or comment or dislike and say you suck you should give it up <laughs> i i still don't i tried to understand what they actually want to get out of it but i i can't i i've asked them and they can't give me a good answer one guy said he was jealous the other day but I can never understand what people really are trying to get at when they send that. Cause I mean, I couldn't care less, but I just want to know what they want. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess that's a little bit of surprising a lot of hate. Cause I didn't have that in the beginning. And I mean, you make one little mistake and you get crucified, which that's life. You're under the spotlight, but every, like every, I guess, yeah, that's probably a big surprise to me is every decision I make is, uh, analyzed and whether it's a good decision or a bad decision it's analyzed by thousands of people when i left england recently man that video must be on like it's probably close to twenty thousand views i got hundreds of comments of people saying oh you're doing the right thing oh you're doing the wrong thing and so that was it's tough to deal with when you have so many people analyzing everything yeah, but yeah. you just need to be true to what you think is right for you and that's what i've been doing i go okay well i know this is right for me so I, that's what matters. Yeah. So when I do like my podcast and that, the boys I play with in the team, they're always telling me this guy was shit to listen to. This guy was all right to listen to. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> what, are some, what are some of the reactions from the boys like you played with or been in change, change rooms with when you're doing videos? Are they saying like that video was rubbish or whatever? Or um, it was good. So it's a bit, it's a bit mixed. I try to hide, especially when I'm trialing for a team, I try and hide it a little bit and not get it out there that I do make videos because I want it to be, I just want to be considered a player, not a celebrity. YouTuber. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you can call it that. <laughs> um, but sometimes you get some people who are like, I traveled with a guy and he's like, you're just a YouTuber or something in a training session. Um, most, for the most part, it's a lot of, you know, like, dude, that's so sick. Like, um, can I be in a video? Can, can you shout out my Instagram? And I think, in the beginning, it's so hard because you're trying something. Once you start to show that you actually have a structure to what you're doing and you have a bit of a following, then people sort of respect you a little bit more. I think as well, coaches is hard to deal with. You have a few coaches who are trying to think if I had anyone. I haven't really had anyone, but coaches can. Oh, I charted a team in England and my dad filmed a little bit of the session just man, like 10 seconds is in the vlog and it's literally me just scoring a goal. Anyway, the I called him to see what was happening in preseason next year and he goes, oh, sorry, mate. Uh, I saw that you recorded a little bit of the session and put it up and, you know, I can't have that. You know, 
it looks like you're just a YouTuber and you're making money off me. You have 15,000 people paying to watch your videos. I went, what? No, no, no. Just because I have 15,000 subscribers doesn't mean they're subscribed paying to me. So you get a few people who don't actually understand what it is. Whereas sometimes you have some people who think it's really good because, and this is my opinion, man, I have 20,000 subscribe, I think 25 now. If I'm at a club, that's going to bring so much more attention to that club, whether it's, if you have people in the area, that's ticket sales that you wouldn't have had. That's, I mean, start up a live stream and start getting views on that as well and build a bit of awareness about the club. And some people think like that, some people don't. And that's definitely a challenge in terms of the players. You know, I've enjoyed a, a lot of the players are pretty cool with it. It's they just kind of understand it because they're a bit younger and understand the YouTube scene. And yeah. Yeah. So you came back to Australia. I remember you were at Parramatta and then there was a bit of a huge oh, yeah. reaction, huge reaction that came up on Facebook and all that Mate, stuff. It started kicking off a bit. The clean sheet coming yeah. for me. <laughs> so obviously that was when it started blowing up a little bit more probably for you. What was that like? That experience? Uh, I remember I was out with um, Lucy for our one year and we get in the car after dinner and I checked my phone. It's blowing up with the clean sheet tagging me and some stupid thing. I can't even remember what it was. Just some I had hundreds of comments. And it's funny because it's like people think I can't read because there's people I know that I'm considered, I guess like me and you, sort of like we're friends. We play football together. We're not super close, but we're friends. And I have these guys commenting like laughing emojis or random stuff like that and tagging mates and I go dude like I thought you kind of had my back a little bit uh so that was a that was interesting to see some people who kind of went oh okay I'll I'll keep that in mind but yeah I I mean it just goes back to the thing I I don't really care what people think of what I do or what I'm doing because I know I'm doing what's best for me and there was a whole stink stink up when I went to Parramatta and then I go there and score 12 goals in 10 games or something. Um, so, yeah, the, it's, it's whatever. And then, I, then we get relegated and the clean sheet puts up another thing saying some stupid stuff about whatever. And it, it's just you have to look at it on a bigger scale where you have players like, let's say Hazard, when he came back from preseason a little bit fat, everyone hammers him. But, I mean, I don't think he really cares. So, yeah. <laughs> it's... It's just a bit like that. Obviously, yeah. I'm not Hazard, but, mate, it's just whatever. Yeah, so you said you were flying there at Parramatta. What sort of opportunities that lead to in the end? Um, so I actually went to Parramatta to then go overseas uh, with the coach. I was going to go to Asia. But because I think one of the tough things as well was because I do this YouTube thing, uh, I get a lot of opportunities. So I ended up going to America before Asia and... America was a very good opportunity, but then Asia kind of went off the table because I took up another opportunity. So, I mean, would I have gone to America if I didn't perform like I did at Parramatta? I don't know. Um, Matt Sheldon, the guy who took me over there, I asked him and he said, oh, no, I just think you're a really good player and I wanted to bring you over. So, I don't know. It's It was good experience to play there and play a lot of games, play a lot of minutes, which is what I wanted to do. And I mean, last time when I went to England for the season one of the 365 day challenge, I played like four games in the course of 
what, 250 days or something. So mm-hmm. I found that to be really difficult finding a team because I went over at the wrong time. I didn't go in preseason. So I don't know. I guess it's something just good to have for my CV and good for the highlights video. And if that's all you get out of it, then it's not too bad. You got a good highlights video to send out. Definitely. So in America, what sort of experience was that? Did it lead to anything in the end? Mate, the food was good. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back. <clears throat> I want to go back for the food. It was incredible. Um, but did it lead to anything? Not really. I got a man. The USL, which is the second division over there, is quality. Some really, really good players, and a lot of people bash it. But it's basically how I see it. And the team I traveled for, Tulsa, you have the top South American players who just come over, and then you have the top American players. So the top South American players are very good. Um, and then the American players, they're good players as well. So playing there was – well, tra- training there was decent. Didn't really lead to too much. But overall, a good experience and something to have on the CV as well, which yeah, yeah it's not such a bad thing. Yeah, so you started your own uh, sock company as well, Steps. Uh, how much yes, money you made from that? What sort of experience has that been? Um, no, it's been really good. Um, <laughs> we got uh, I got Real Salt Lake, which is an MLS team. Real Monarchs, which is a USL team. They now wear the socks. I think I, I should remember this name. Well, they're women's Real. I can't remember, but the women's team for the Real Salt Lake organization as well. It looks like are going to get on board. So you get some uh, US women's national team players there. Um, we've had. There was another team. Oh, El Paso in the USL. And then I just went into retail in one store in America, which was really cool. Uh, they've obviously just shut down because of Corona and everything. But that's, it's been a really cool experience kind of growing this. And I knew it was something I wanted to do because I, I love business. And I just saw an opportunity in the market. And now you have... Mate, I see every day things popping up on the Explore page of new grip sock companies trying to <laughs> jump on the bandwagon, but it's whatever. It's I spent like so many months trying to perfect it, and now people are saying that steps are better than True Socks. Matt Sheldon, who plays in the USL, was wearing True Socks, and now he just wears steps. And I mean, I don't pay him anything. He just goes, though, these are better than True Socks. So it's really cool to be able to have a product which i worked so hard on and is possibly the best in the market. I think that's what's made it successful and continuing to get there. Now I just need to get all the A-League players on it and go from there. Yeah. So do you, what do you do? Do you make them yourself or does someone else make them? No, so they're made in China. I designed all of the stuff. Um, this one I actually designed all, my, uh, all myself. So the design, the grip, uh, I said what percentages and the packaging – so that was a cool experience because I'm not really a designer um, for some I'm other stuff. You can do just guesswork yeah. and all that. Just make it up as you go. Yeah, mate. <laughs> I, I had a couple of other ones. I'll send them to you after. But the first design I got was the most ugly thing. I can't even describe it. And then I got samples where the grips were a millimeter thick and you could just pick them off so easily. And then you got other ones where the sock is too thin. And at this point, you're paying like $1,000 for all of these samples and your thousand dollars out of pocket just to find the right one, find the right yeah. person. Um, 
Jeez. and then yeah it's it's so i mean a lot of people can just try and do it but it's something that's took took so much time so i mean it's just like you pay you've you got the sock and then you go all right i just want to change this and this then you have to wait for wait for them to make it then you have to wait for them to ship it and that's like five weeks and then you gotta check it again and go oh you did it the same way i just that you just gave it to me. I want to change it from that. So it's a lot of time and a lot of money, but it's good fun. I enjoy it. Yeah, decent. Um, just back to the vlogs. What's been your probably your favorite one that you've made ever? Oh, favorite vlog. Uh, in terms of actual content, I have a few which I can't think off the top of my head. Somewhere I put a lot of work into it. Um, in terms of that's in the editing side, but in terms of the actual content, raw content would probably have to be beating Matt Sheldon in football tennis. We got the, uh, can you see? Oh wait, we got it back there. The, uh, the football tennis championship wrestling belt. Yeah. Went to target, went to target, bought one of those before I went to New Zealand and went to New Zealand, played Matt in that beat him. And it's kind of become a thing of this football tennis belt. And so, I know it's a cool little series and it's something that's fun to do. So I want to go over, well, my plan was to go back to England and on the way I was going to go stop in, uh, I was going to go stop in LA to play one other guy that makes YouTube videos and then New York to play another guy and then go to England and play another guy. So hopefully beat all them and just keep the belt and that's the game. But it's just, I know it's something that's away from football and it's just fun, fun content. That's kind of what I enjoyed. Yeah, decent. Uh, the worst one that you've done, you reckon? Anyone? Worst one? Oh, mate, the one I the one I really dislike was in America. Um, I we're in the hotel room, and this guy was staying at a hotel, and he he was staying at a hotel, and then it was like the last night because we we're gonna play a game, a trial game, the next day, and like this was a trial game I needed to perform in. So I needed like a really good sleep. I, I'm big on preparing for the next day, big on preparation. Anyway, he messages me and says, yo, can I uh, come sleep on your hotel floor? I went, um, yeah, sure. Like it's a little bit hard, but sure, man. Anyway, he comes over and um, has a look at it. And my bed is like a king size bed. It's huge. And this guy is like, I don't know, six foot two, six foot three, huge guy. And, I'm, I'm obviously paying, paying for this room. He was at a hotel, but he just didn't want to pay anymore. And so he comes in, checks the floor and goes, I go, oh, so you're going to set up? And he's like, oh, no, I think I'm going to go sleep in the car. And I went, oh, okay, that's cool. And then in my video, everyone hammered me because I didn't offer him the bed. And I said in my video, I went, oh, yeah, I'm not going to offer him the bed because I have the biggest day tomorrow. Like I need to perform. And so I got, Mate, that was far out, like two, over 400 comments, I reckon, of people saying how much of a dickhead I am for what I did. Like, it was so bad. And for some people, it's fine what I did. Like, some people were like, I mean, you had to prepare for, what you, for the next day. Other people, obviously, the 400 other people, um, that video got a ton of dislikes. So that's something where, I, I mean, it's difficult because this guy – you know, he was absolutely fine with it. And I, he really couldn't care less whether I offered him the bed or not. It wasn't even on his mind. But 
if I had my time again, we would have gone to Walmart and picked up a uh, picked up a bed or something. But you know, it's it's life. There's a lot of learning things, and with YouTube, obviously, those lessons are a lot harsher and come a lot more. But you know, you just have to keep going and learn from the, your mistakes. So I definitely learned from that one. Yeah, decent. Uh, just last couple of questions. Who would you say is probably the best player you've played with? Uh, best player in the same old goal. This guy, Nike Academy, French player. I think he's my age or a year younger. Best left foot, better than yours, mate. <laughs> and that's hard to beat. <laughs> um, this guy, yeah, he was. I think because he can't sign for like a top level club, and I, he should be like Championship League one minimum. But he's playing fifth or sixth division because of that rule where if you sign before 23, your boyhood club wants a certain amount of money for compensation. Yeah, that. And so he was at Leon or something, and Leon won a ton of money. And um, so, yeah, he just is waiting, I guess, till he's 24 and just playing division five. But like this guy is so, like, you, you get 1v1. I, you go 1v1 against him. The only thing you can do is like try to take him out. But even then, it's impossible. Jesus. Uh, best player you played against? Um, played against? Probably, probably him again. But if I had to go someone else, uh, who have I liked? No, I can't, I can't think of a whole lot of people. There's, there's so many people who have been so good and you kind of just go, wow, this guy's a good player. Yeah, Paddy would be up there, I'd say, (laughs) as a centre-back. He's definitely hard to deal with and a bit of a a nonce. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Best pitch you've played on, you reckon? Uh, Best pitch? You've got to love Cromer Park. Yeah. You've got to love it. It's a huge pitch. Um, Yeah, you've got to love Cromer. Decent. Last one. Uh, What are your plans for the future? Are you going to keep on YouTubing? Yeah, so we'll see see what happens in the next sort of see what happens with this virus. Plan was to go back and um, get some trials in. There was going to be a possibility to trial with a League Two club um, over in the UK, but I don't know what's going to happen. It depends when the season starts, and I've been told the season's going to start in August. But I mean, am I even allowed to leave Australia? Who knows? So I'll just keep making a video every now and then and see what I can do. Yeah, decent. All right, mate, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for easy. doing that, mate. Legend. No worries. Go easy. Easy, mate. All right, speak to you soon. Cheers, mate. Have a good one. Laters. See ya.